Hello, you're listening to Northern Stages Podcast. When we say podcast, we made a conversation. A conversation we held on Monday the 10th of August. This week, we talked to Ali Pritchard. I get fixated about plumbing. Ali tells us nearly singing for the UK at Eurovision. We both talk about alphabeting and what it does and how important it is. We're joined by Rex the Dog and Paula Penman. It's eclectic. Afternoon, everyone. Uh, this week, uh, we are joined by the brilliant Ali Pitchard and the forever silent and my arch nemesis, the silent producer, Johnny. Um, hello, Ali Pitchard. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Mark Calvert. How are you? I'm very good, actually. Um, had a nice weekend, a little bit of sun, got the sun. Even though I look sort of red on the screen, I'm like, I'm chestnut brown. Um, so, sure. Um, uh, so, we'll start with an easy one. Um, for those of you who don't know you, uh, who are you and what do you do? I, uh, I was going to say my full name there, but I'm not going to. What is your full name? I'm Ali Pritchard. Alistair David Drummond Pritchard. Good name. Yeah, strong. Extra, extra posh. Um, I am Ali Pritchard. I'm the Artistic and Executive Director of Alphabet Theatre. I am... I've got ADHD, which, <laughs> if that wasn't obvious, uh, there you go. Um, so I can never concentrate on anything. So things like this are pretty good for you. So you're going to really enjoy this, Johnny. What do I do? I am, yeah, I'm the Artistic and Executive Director of Alphabet Theatre. I founded it eight years ago, and I don't know how to spell my title. And uh, Alphabeti is a 80-seater venue in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in an old rubber stamp factory, and we've got... Uh, our main stage and then we've just we're currently building a second stage which is going to be a live music stage which is in the bar um, which is very exciting and we've got a rehearsal room and we've got a costume and props workshop and we've got artist studios wow nice so um how long is the um the uh staging gonna take uh, to build in the bar um is that you by yourself um no it was i knocked down the wall for fun um, and then I realised that I have actually responsibilities to do because we've got 12 staff that I need to keep in a job. So then I had to give it to someone else to build. So we're just going to take it as long as COVID lasts, really. Um, we don't need it, need it until we open again. Um, but yeah, no, I knocked down the wall and did the electrics and then I let the, uh, we've got handyman in to help build the rest of the stage, um, which is going to be accessible as well, which is nice. I mean, this is awesome. That's fascinated me about you. Is that essentially from uh, from when I first met you to where you are now, you have mastered a number of trades, from accountancy to plumbing, and now um, building, building works. I mean, how has that been? Um, I mean, when you first set out to be a I don't know uh, a leader of a fringe venue, did you realise how much work would go into it beyond actually the art and the culture? Uh, no, not really. I mean, also it should be say that I never actually planned to do this. Um, I wanted to be a Jack Black, um, but British. Um, <laughs> and instead, I yeah, I ended up doing this by accident, which is quite fun. Um, no, I didn't really think about anything. I don't. Uh, I do think about lots of things, but I also go, oh, I've got a very well. We'll just have to do that. Can do attitude type of thing. Another one for you. Why do you do what you do? Uh, I think. That's, yeah, a hard question. Um, well, it started because I wanted a space for me to make my work. Um, I mean, when we first met, 
you, I mean, you still haven't changed your reaction, but I remember you just pulling a face going, who is this eccentric weirdo? Um, <laughs> not true, Ali Pritchard. You regularly pull that face when we have a drink. I just pull that um, face anyway. That's sort of my sort of <laughs> resting face of, in, of intrigue and curiosity. Uh, and so I think lots of people get kind of panicked when I, when they first met me to go, what is he What is he wanting to do? And we don't understand how. And I kind of just started doing it by accident and then it's got bigger. And I think what was very interesting was from when we first moved from our first venue, which is above Dublin Parrot Pub, to us in between moving to there to our second space, we had work go on at live, we had work go on at non stage, we had work at ARC, and I took a stage to a festival as well and ran a program around that, um, all in between this like hiatus period, which I think about six months. And but during that time, we had our audience followed us wherever we went, but our audience also came to us and went, um, we really liked your space. We, we felt like it was a space that we owned and felt part of, which I think is a really, really important thing because there are lots of community spaces um, that program community work, but less spaces that are community-minded that program professional work, and it's it kind of goes hand in hand with, with one and the other. So that's why I'm continuing doing it now. And also because I need a wage, um, which is always important when you have a family to support. Um, but, and also I, I still don't think people would, if I went somewhere else and didn't do what I do, I don't think people would trust me to go, yeah, we're going to just let you do what you want. Whereas for some reason I've got a board of seven people who have all put their livelihoods on the line to let be trustees of our theater um and they just let me do what i want and it's amazing i mean i have to tell them and they normally talk me around to slightly more sensible options but um yeah i'm just allowed to do what i want when i want um and I, as long as i talk to them and talk to lots of other people they're happy so uh, a little bit on that you know <laughs> uh, how do you work then you know in that world of of being somebody who that has the can-do attitude. Like, how do you work? And and has and has that changed over the period of time you've been running the three venues that you've been in? Um, like, how do you work? Um, well, actually, that's very interesting because I'm rewriting our programming policy at the minute, um, which is very, very exciting because I've never had time to properly sit down. I remember you and I went on a walk and we had a nice chat about it because I never, ever have had time to be able to just sit down and go, well, how does Alphabeti work? And it's constantly me reworking it, chatting it through trustees and people like that I trust and respect. Um, I sometimes respect you, but you and lots of other people. <laughs> um, uh, but no, we but we sat down and had chats and I go, what do you think about doing this? Or what do you think about us doing that? Um, and then I try and write it down and I work from that thing written down because otherwise my brain will take us off into a completely different stratosphere which will have bubble mountains and all sorts of things um so, at, so i started alphabeti because i as a venue because i wanted a space for my work but also i wanted a place that could help people where i was at that time and support them um to become professional so we have a very i have a very strict thing of saying that it's not a um, amateur dramatics venue, um, but it's a space to develop, to become professional, um, or we have top quality professional work come in as well. Um, so it's just trying to be a safe space for both an artist and an audience member to create something 
that's magical. God, that's flouncy, isn't it? I should, I should have thought well, about these. No, it's, it's, it's not flouncy at all. I think you know, it's it's. I think it's important to the success of Alphabet and what you've managed to do. I think it was just, it's a big thing of just saying, yeah, okay, let's do that. So I think a good example was um, Woven Nest. We just had them come in uh, recently. So that Woven Nest are one of your associate companies, um, aren't they? Or are they not? Yeah, yeah. Maybe they. Yeah. yeah. So they came in and they've been writing an arts council bid for the last year and a bit and they keep on getting knocked back and knocked back and i was like well let's just put one in like i want to do this project let's put it in and it i wrote it for them instead and it took what normally takes them a day i wrote in six hours and we put we've already put it in um the arts council bid and it i'm really pleased the bid actually and it's i think it's a really strong one and i think it's something really exciting but it's that thing for them of just going well i've been writing bids for eight years and since covid I think I've written nearly over a hundred funding applications, whether it's for um, individuals. Well, I mentored 46 individual emergency funding applications. Um, all 46 got them uh, cool. for, for, the, for the Northeast um, and further as well. Like there were people down London that we just knew and sent them up. Um, so I know how to write a bid. So I was like, well, I'll just write it. Let's just chat it through, chat it through. And we broke down the... Um, way I like to run a project, which was uh, I have stolen from um, your ex-boss, Lorne Campbell, um, and then edited into an Alistair David Drummond Pritchard way um, into just making, I don't know why I'm saying my full name, but I know you like full names. Um, I, do, I do use full names quite regularly. It's a, sort of, it's a mm-hmm. habit I've got myself into that I can't get out of, <clears throat> which I'm going to start practicing from now on. I'm going to call you Ali from now on. That's it. So when you talk about this sort of like the way you like to run a project, what is that way? So I like to start with a dream um, and we ch- I chat that through. And sometimes that's, I think that's the longest one that can take. So you have a dream of a project and that can be, I want to work with elderly people. Um, and it can be as general as that, or it can be as fine tuned as I want to make a show that's set in a taxi for four people. That's going to be all through, um, verbatim uh, recorded work and I'm going to lip sync it and I want to be able to press the indicator and this thing happens and this thing happens and you really develop what that dream is of a project um, and that I like to do over wine and beer and whiskey um, normally just with pals and even if they're not a pal then they will soon become a pal because we're drinking together and if they don't drink then we'll just drink tea and coffee and stuff um, and I like to chat that through and chat that through and really understand why or what they want to do it. So we have loads and loads of associate artists that will meet and meet me and talk about that dream stage. Um, and then it goes on to a budget. So then you write down um, and you let the dream get as big as it possibly can. Um, so for this place, and I run this place in this model as well. So there's always a dream. Um, and currently the dream is to be the best small scale uh, theatre in the world. Um, it's quite a small dream. Um, Good dream. Yeah. And so the board know that and we always go back to that one dream. And once you get that really, really solid, then you move on to your budget. Go, okay, well, how are we going to make this happen? And that's when it gets into stratospheric numbers. Um, and at that point, I can help a lot of people because I, instead of having to look up how much do we need to pay this person, what's uh, how much do we need to pay a musical director, I can go, oh, it's this much because... I have to write that many bids, so I just know it. Um, or I've got the printout of all my costs and go, yep, yeah, we've paid this person this much because of that or because they're part of that um, 
this is what equity minimum is, we can pay this and a little bit more. So we work out a budget and go, right, how are we going to make it happen? And then I tend to do about six or seven budgets with them and really make that work um, so that you go, right, yeah, we're breaking in, we're doing everything. And then you start the fundraise stage. So it's still this point, we haven't got anything in place. So then you go, right, we're going to fundraise. And whether that's fundraising through to the just the Arts Council or it's a Heritage Lottery or if they need to team up with um, whether it's just Alphabetti doing it and we're, as a charity, we can go to lots of other funds or whether the artist needs to go to a different charity or Alphabetti to go to this different fund. So they could go to Community Foundation or the Community Lottery or XYZ. I've just picked some quite big ones um, and I can help them again with that of going, right, well, you're under 25, you can go to Sunday for Sammy, you're based in the Northeast, this is what you want to do, it fits very much with them or are you... This fits identically to what Ballinger Charitable Trust like to do. So why don't Alphabetti put a bid in for you by that? Um, and we'll chat that through. And that's, I guess, still part of that dream and budget bit. But And that's part of our fundraise. We start fundraising. Um, and then once we've got the money, then we schedule it. So then we'll go, right, this is when this thing's going to happen. This is when this thing's going to happen. And as part of fundraising, um, as you probably know, writing lots of arts council bids, you have to know what your rough schedule is. So that always is helpful. So we'll go, right, well, we'll be casting at this point if it's a straight theatre show production. We'll go, we'll cast this point, we'll do this point, we'll do, we, marketing needs to be gone by this point, this point there. Um, and once you've then scheduled everything, so everyone knows, and in theory, then that really helps your communication, particularly with a small scale space like ours. We have so many part-time people and someone coming in for a project who's, top top class but we are training theatre so I've got an emerging lighting designer with me a lot of the time who's never really done anything before but they've got a real talent that you can see um, but they don't know the ins and outs and then I've got a uh, very experienced lighting designer coming in for one day so being able to tell them right from the start this is the schedule this is how the whole project's going to work out and this is what everyone's deadlines are and we've all got it written down everyone can just go oh yeah cool well by that point Ali will have done this or Ali will have rewired the whole theatre to work or whatever it is. <laughs> um, and then we will, from that point, once we've got a whole schedule, we've got everyone knowing what everyone's doing, that's when they, you then start it. Um, and I say I like to run everything like this. I haven't ever been able to do it all the way through. Actually, no, that's a lie. I have. A few times but it's always a thing you start something and then something else happens and, it, and you have to work with punches Bexy, it's all right um so the dog was barking growling um and you just kind of have to work with the punches uh like the fact that the venue may get flooded or whatever it is that we regularly have to deal with but i mean if erica wyman had to deal with non-stage flooding um then i'm pretty proud that alphabet he had to as well on a, on a VIP night, wasn't it, that that happened? It was, yeah. It was yeah. the famous Toon Sami <clears throat> where I flooded. <clears throat> yeah, remember everybody sort of like billing, billing us, us out as a return from the surge, walking through rivers of, well, water, yeah, because it's where a river is. Um, wow, what a strange Monday I'm having. Um, any, anywho, um, how long has it taken you to develop that level of understanding and confidence to be able to uh, not just use your practice for you, but also to share it amongst the sort of wider Northeast ecology. And what um, do you think that's down to? Is that just down to like, as you're, you know, a plumber, builder, this like trying to never do in, making mistakes, learning again, 
I... Yeah, I think it's a, a very foolhardy, which is good and bad um, in terms of that. And I also always want to help people. So I'll meet someone and they'll go, oh, I'm doing this thing. And I'll be like, oh, I think I know someone who does that, does that. I'll text you their number, um, which is awful for GDRP, but it's personal GDRP, so it's okay. Um, so I guess it's a thing that I I like to I like to help and support, and I, I always open with a caveat to people are going art subjective, and this way is definitely not the right way of doing it. Um, but this is the way that I do it, and sometimes it really works, and other times it don't. Um, so don't run this as the Bible, but run it as you will. And it, it was something that going back to um, what Lorne did, it was really helpful for me that he talked me through that those stages that he likes to run a project um and i went okay i kind of like the way you're talking about this but i'm going to change this and do that and do this um and then people started asking for help so i just gave it to them and i was like i don't know it's a similar with my plumbing i've re my pals regularly call me up and ask me for plumbing help and i was like i don't know what i'm doing but yeah sure um like we just before lockdown for my birthday my wife get um turned a old uh, upstairs toilet in our house that we just bought into a study for me so I could work from home a little bit more because I've got a new toddler um, and I had to do all the plumbing to turn it out I flooded the kitchen three times um, <laughs> and we had to do all that I mean for some reason she really didn't mind which I couldn't get over but she gets annoyed about other things um, but yeah I flooded the kitchen three times and still my pals call me up and go oh can you just help me um plumb this thing in i'm like yeah sure let's let's have a go i'll charge a couple of beers and uh, we'll have lots of stupid jokes while we're doing it um, <laughs> sounds great yeah. it's not my experience of plumbing at all it's normally stress-filled and covered in water um uh, and actually one time i might be doing a podcast my um boiler burst and so i had to sort of rush off and try to find a way to make it uh well stop it leaking and i didn't anyway that's not my plumbing why am i talking about plumbing um see the you, could, you should have called me there. Then I would have come round. We'd have had a couple of jokes. I would have popped into the podcast. It'd have been great. <laughs> Johnny's, Johnny's indicating yes. That's what I should have done. Yeah. But you know, I was in blind panic at that point and was sort of trying not to fill my kitchen. So I'm gonna go back a little bit to like how it all started. Like, what is your background? Where did your interest begin in theatre? Was it always theatre? I mean, you said uh, that you wanted to be Jack Black. Um, <clears throat> where did those two things run in parallel? When did they separate, or are they separated? Um, I don't think they're separated just yet. I still have a little bit of a passion for it. I actually just wrote a uh, paragraph in the Guardian for this, which I'm very proud of. Um, did you which, about yeah it was amazing about about what what uh theater that made us um it was a whole series and they had emma rice write one and then me and i was like what why are you asking That's me amazing for? i know so it's really on, cool tell, tell us about it then well so the theater that changed me was a play by jane armfield the tin ring um it yes. was in my final year of uh studying at northumbria so i did a um a higher diploma in contemporary vocals from the Academy of Contemporary Music in Guildford. Um, uh, when I was 18, I got horrifically bullied, um, which wasn't very fun. Um, nearly sang for 
Britain in, no, for the UK in Eurovision, um, which would have been funny. I was nearly in a boy band. What? Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, it, so it was really great. The, the college is amazing. So they set you up with, whilst they're doing it, they set you up with um, auditions that go on. And I was the only male person in my group. Um, and because of that, I wasn't very used to the some of the catty nature that comes with a big group of performers um and so you get set up into these auditions and they don't worry what what you are um they just want a singer and it's like sony that come and meet you like newton faulkner got found there and loads of other people have come out of it and bigger and better than newton faulkner um but they set you up all these auditions and then it just meant that i was constantly getting bullied by these girls and it was horrible and at the time i was six well i still am six two but i was about 16 17 stone i was playing rugby still and they were i didn't know what to do i was towering over these people like really quite big and i was like i don't know i can't do anything you're just bullying me it really mean so that was that was where i started um and then i went to uni at northumbria and i did uh drama and script writing with the amazing richard stockwell um was my head lecturer and um i was an absolute nightmare at uni. Um, I remember my first year I failed because I just, I don't know why I did. Um, and I sat down after retakes with Fiona McPherson, who's an excellent director. And she went, oh, well, so what, what, are you, what are you hoping to get from your degree? And I was like, oh, well, obviously a first. And she just openly laughed in my face and went, you will never do that. <laughs> Which I like to bring up to her now because I was like, oh, well, Maybe I should start working. Um, I was an absolute dickhead um, at uni. Um, and yeah, so I, but Jane was amazing to me and lots of other, of the, Richard was brilliant. Um, I nearly got kicked out of uni for um, being a dick, um, playing, just drinking too much. It was, yeah, I don't know why I'm talking about that bit, but um, I had a dreadlock and i had lots of dreadlocks and i thought i was really really cool and i was not and i got a rugby scholarship for my third year which was very nice and um during that time i then went to go see and i was then started really interesting work so i did a, a module working with foster carers in gateshead um and i was really keen about using comedy to uh, make things accessible for people who wouldn't normally go to a theatre show. So you uh, and this module was all about community work, and they were talking about doing stuff with Augustus Boyle and things like that. And I had already read lots of his books and understood a lot of his style, and um, but I didn't want to trying to explain that to someone who's being forced to come to a session with some drama students because they're going to get free McDonald's at the end. Um, and that was literally why they were there. And they were like, we don't want to be here, but we're going to get free McDonald's. And it's more fun than just to sit in the care home right now. Um, and so we went, well, what do you want to do? And they, at the time, they were really into Little Britain. So we were like, well, all right, let's make a Little Britain show for you. And for me, that was a real changing point. So I went, actually, you can do some really, really funny things here and make a really big deal about the issues that they face. Um, and one of them was, um, we did go compare advert. And it's uh, for 
those the, those participants who were there and the re and they came up with it and we really worked with them about making it and it was, the whole idea was that they went well it's horrific like people come to adopt us but they go oh, no, i'm looking for someone who's not ginger oh, i'm looking for someone who's just that little bit taller and they do it in front of their faces and what? these people i know it's mental and obviously these people who are coming to these new soon-to-be parents aren't meaning to say that and aren't nasty people because they're wanting to adopt someone so or, or foster someone so they're not going to be inherently horrible people so it's obviously a mistake that's being made or because i don't know whether it's how it's done and uh, but these these kids was just explaining it to us and then the other thing was all about um so we did a go compare advert that i was dressed up as a big go compare guy but for um foster kids and it was like horrifically tongue-in-cheek but they wrote it and it was um really really powerful and i remember getting half the group came to us and uh, like calling me just before we showed these things and they're like you can't do this and i was like sorry they, they, they've written it but luckily i'd been bullied all through acm so i was used to um being ridiculed and i was like now i've got faith in what we're doing and it was risky but it was really really successful and it really hit the point home as well and then uh it added change and the other big one that uh, i remember doing as well was a um all about um how people leaving care or moving from one care home to another care home um they don't have enough money to uh, have um suitcases so they put all their belongings and all their belongings get put into bin bags and what does that say to a child or a teenager if everything that they treasure gets put into a bin bag for them to move um, and we did, I can't remember what the sketch is, but we did a whole sketch about that. Um, and then again, we got cornered in there, uh, by the same person going, you can't say that you can't do that. And I was like, well, actually these people came up with, we can do it. And I uh, then yesterday, which I was very pleased about, bought, got my mad lug bag, which is, um, oh, yeah, company, yeah, which is a company who make, um, every bag that you buy they give a bag to a child in care um, so that you don't have to, so they don't have to move their things around. And after that, we played to Gateshead council people, some Gateshead council people that the university had set up. And they brought in, after we did that sketch, about six months later, they brought in some legislation and some funding so that children, uh, so that if you had a, if you a foster carer, you could apply for this funding to buy a suitcase for the child. And I was like, oh, that's, really cool like we actually have changed something here and done something quite important and i'm not sure whether it's because of that sketch or they've probably thought about it anyway but i think having a group of 18 to 20 year olds sing and dance in front of you about something that is really important but actually they're laughing they're laughing with you about it there, there was a real change there um so i kind of started making work that was community-minded but very very accessible to lots of people um and i was still wanting to do that being jack black and having a horrific dreadlocks and uh piercings and all sorts um i think at my peak i had eight nine no 12 piercings at my peak which was um pretty good um and they yeah so we I was still wanting to go to West End and do these things and, to, and go big and go big. And then I went to go see Jane Armfield show The Tin Ring, which is just the most incredible piece of work. I'm still trying to persuade her to let me program it here. And we're going to develop a new show with a, um, a new show here. And it was in the Lit and Phil basement and it had four lights. Jane was wearing a plain black dress and a chair. 
Um, and that was it. And she went everywhere. And I mean, the story is the most amazing story anyway. So based from an autobiography from Zladimir, something beginning with F, I can't remember how to say the uh, second name, so I'm not going to say it. Um, Never mind. And Yeah, good. <laughs> and it was all about her. Uh, she went into Auschwitz and she's a survivor from Auschwitz. And it is the most harrowing but also uplifting and incredible show and i could talk to you about it i well i actually talked to my friend rosie about it for about an hour and she's like how do you still remember it you've only ever watched it once uh, and it's that it's that amazing but for me that really changed we were freezing and we could hear all this traffic going past and i think as soon as and uh, the backs of the chair lent like our, like our chairs that I bet you used to do. So it's an instant core workout. As soon as you leant back, you had to just hold your core up. Um, and I remember sitting down and being like, oh God, I'm uncomfortable. I was probably hung over. And I was grumbling away to my girlfriend at the time. And then the play started and I was like, this is for me what theatre should be. And I think also we only paid three pounds because we were students. And it's the best piece of work I've ever seen. And I've paid a lot more for work and gone to a lot fancier buildings. And there's still nothing better than that show that I've ever seen. Um, wow. And that's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, probably 11 years, no, yeah, coming up to 10 years ago now. Um, and for me, that really changed everything because it's, it, you don't need the fancy building. What you just need is great work um, and, the, and a great performer to be able to just hold someone and tell a really good story. And that, that for me, that's what changed everything about the way I was looking to make work rather than think, right, what's the razzmatazz? Let's strip it all back and think about the um, like core of it. And I guess that goes back to the idea of how I then run programs now and run projects and use Alphabeti as a larger project of let's work out what the really tight dream is. Um, and I guess that's all come from that tin ring and how I work things through. Um, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes in between those, <laughs> those times. <laughs> Um, but who doesn't love a mistake? Absolutely. You know, I think they, you know, yeah, it's all about learning, isn't it? You never stop learning. And I think touching on that um, a little bit about what do you think is integral to your work as an artist? I think you've mentioned sort of, but yeah, what is what is integral to you uh, or your work as an artist? Story, out and out. I, I love a story. Um, and I don't mind what format that's told in. Um, but a, a really, really good story and a well-told story, but it can be told in any any way, whether that's a robot puppet or it's a storyteller standing there explaining it, or it could be, I don't know, I wanted to say shadows, but I already had said puppets, so I'm trying to think of something different. Um, music, I don't know. Um, but, or, or very clever dancing. I, I will look for a story in anything and everything, whether that's my day-to-day -day life or whether that's the work that I'm making. And that's what I really, really care about. And while I'm programming work, that's what I tend to care about. And that's what I explain to an artist going, story's the main thing for me. Um, and that's what I really, really want to be, people to understand and tell. Um, because I think it's so, I think stories are so interesting that we, we as humans just live our whole lives in stories. I mean, even when we're asleep, we dream, which is this type of story. Um, and actually, I was telling my mum I had a, I was really grumpy with her this morning because I had an argument with her in my dream. Um, we, uh, 
I hadn't seen her for six months and she I was like why were you 51 minutes late for me and she's like I haven't seen you for six months I haven't been late for you for anything and I was like oh sorry yeah it's a dream um I I I do have a crazy mind like that the uh when I was at ACM I so I lived at home and I was traveling in I think I had to cycle for 15 minutes get the bus which was 45 minutes and then walk to there and I'm terrible in the mornings so I used to wake up and be like ah oh, shit I've got to be at this lecture and I'm re- I'm very very dyslexic as well so I really struggled with music theory um and I could I got through the course not down to my music theory so I was terrible and I had this terrifying teacher who was so good at music because she was a music teacher obviously um and I showed up and I was like, oh, God, it's Becky. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm late. I'm late. And she was like, Ali, if you're late again, you're not coming in. So um, because she knew also that I hated the class so much that I used to try and put anything in the way of me not going. Um, and I arrived and I was late and I was like, I know what I'll do. It's her birthday. I'll go get her a cupcake from Greg so she can't be angry at me. So I'll come in and give her a cupcake. And I came running in. And I was like, I'm so sorry I'm late, Becky, but happy birthday. Here's a cupcake. And she looked at me and the rest of the class looked at me and they were just like, who is this guy? And the only person that didn't um, bully me, there was a girl, a Northern Irish uh, singer called Grania. I sat next to her and she was also a massive pothead. And she was like, mate, what are you on? Who? <laughs> why are you doing that? And I was like, it's her birthday. I've got around it. And I was like, feeling really chuffed, really, really sweaty still. And uh, Becky just looked at me and she's like, Ali, I've been on tour for two months. <laughs> you, I haven't. I haven't been here to tell you that it's my birthday next week. So you, what are you on? And I was like, all oh, right, yeah, sorry, I dreamt that. That's bad. And I've recently found out that the way that I deal with stress is a very bad way. But I also, when I get very, very stressed, I sleepwalk, sleep talk, and I've even been found sleep cooking. Um, so before I got married, my one of my housemates, and this is when we we're in the second alphabeti, and I was living in my mate's bath. Um, because he was, uh, well, I was living in my mate's bath when he was back, so he was in the RAF. So when he was back, I slept in his bath, and uh, it wasn't full of water, it was just empty bath. And when, and, um, when he wasn't back, I slept in his bed. And the he gave it to me for free because I was sleeping in a bath, but also the reason why was that I had to look after the flat because the other housemate was such a nightmare. And the other housemate found me, and I was completely naked trying to fry... Um, I don't know what I was trying to fry, but I was so stressed about money and everything. And I was just trying to cook and he was fuming because it, the whole smoke alarm had gone off in the flat. And he was like, Ali, what the hell are you doing? And I just turned around and he was like, why are you naked? Why are you trying to cook? He just thought I was really drunk. And I wasn't, I was sleepwalking because I was so stressed about what I was trying to do. So that was good. Um, a nice <laughs> little tangent there for you. That's a good tangent, man. I mean, I never, all these things I've learned about you and uh, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. I never knew you sleepwalked. I never knew you sleepwalked. I never knew you sleepwalked naked. Um, <clears throat> um, what do you think, um, especially with the last uh, 20 weeks of our lives um, and the constant and regular debate about the role of the arts in society, um, what do you think is the role of the artist in society, especially now and moving forward? um good question uh i don't know i think i don't think there's any one definitive answer and i think art's so subjective for each different person but i think yeah there's a place for it with so many different people for for us and now for betty 
we are definitely a space for i mean so many different things but for artists to be able to just have a space that they can make work and also make work and, and experiment with something and feel safe in in a space and give small and steady regular work to people um i think that's why we've been doing so much on the online side because without that regular work i mean our some of our associates one may actually come and gate crash this in a minute um because she's coming in in 20 minutes um she they're, they're people are struggling and you're getting loads of money from everywhere but no one's getting loads of money that's a lie what are you talking about Alistair? fool um uh, yeah in short i don't know i think the place we have to be a space carla said something really clever that i've forgotten um but it's something around the lines of it's about holding up a mirror to society and helping someone engage with it um and i do a lot of work as an artist with the homeless community um and from where i grew up as a child to where i am now um living in the west end i think i see a lot more and lots of the community work i've done so there are people that i have in my life that look one way at someone who's living on the street to the way that I look at them. And I think there's a really important thing of just going to the, going back to that thing of story of think about what that person's story is when you walk past someone and why, why you walk past someone. And also how hard is it to engage with them and say, when someone asks, have you got any change? Just smile and say, sorry, no. Uh, how's your day been? Like, have a chat because that was the biggest thing that came through to me. I was, and I was so amazed by it that, you don't get treated like a person. Um, and for me as an artist, that's the work I like to make in, in looking at social outsiders and why they are social outsiders and really helping with that. And not so much of trying to shove it down someone's throat, but telling it in a interesting and entertaining way so that eventually there and someone will leave going oh yeah i do think i do look at that person in a different light that person who's wearing a star trek hat um i'm going to look at them in a different way because actually um there may be the most fascinating story behind them and they may be my next love or my or my best friend i don't know until you ask them until you get to know that story so and I mean, it's also ironic because everyone has a first impression. You go, look at that person, what are they doing? Um, so, yeah, I think as an artist, that's what I'm very, very much interested in. I think it's a very important place where we're living at the moment, both politically and socially and, and trying to understand where we fit. And I don't think there is an, an out-and-out answer, and I think it's got to be something that I've got to take from our associate artists, our trustees, and our staff. To, oh. We've now got a ghost. Um, now I think it's someone up in the house. I think it's one of the studio holders. Um, let's hope it's not the old police house, because otherwise we'll have a noise gig on our hands, um, <laughs> which would be a great one. Um, but yeah, I think it's something for that I've got to be guided with, um, and I'm very up for people to help that guide and go. Well, actually, no, you need to do this better and do this more. And as us as a space for art, for audience members, we do, so I think 60% of our shows are pay what you feel. Um, and we will, in theory, never turn anyone away if they can't pay, even if it's pay what you feel. Well, if it's pay what you feel, it doesn't matter if you can't pay, it's all anonymous, no one needs to worry about it. 
if it's ticket show, we still won't turn anyone away if we'll go, well, you can go put up some posters for us or you can go do this. If you physically can't afford and you want to come watch a show, come in and watch a show. And what I didn't realise was how important that was socially for so many people who don't feel comfortable and don't feel safe to strike up a conversation with someone, um, whether it's an associate or it's an associate as in someone they've seen but, and know the name of but wouldn't call a friend rather than an associate of the theatre. Um, and yeah, with everything that's going on in this huge pandemic, we've had so many art, um, audience members get in touch and just go, thank you for doing the online programme. I, I feel part of something again. And also there were some of the most isolated people. Like we, we do our Betty show, which is our monthly live stream. Yes. Um, I'm going to come on to that right now about, you know, talking about how you have, you know, had to move your programme on online and that you've done uh, a number of different things, both online curation with Betty Recommends and then also um, the live show that you've been doing. And uh, how has that been? Uh, and some of the artists that you're working with, like Sean Byrne, Vicky reeford uh Molly Rashbrook, Ruth Patterson, Ben Dickerson, uh, uh, Davey Rayner, Gary Kitchen. Um, like there's so many people on there. Like how has that... I mean, that must have taken a long time to program, but no, you probably not. Um, anyway, what's that been like? Uh, and so and the talk us through some of the shows. Okay, so we are doing a, uh, so we've got Betty Recommends, which is a uh, weekly curation of bite-sized free um, culture uh, that we found on the internet, which is, and it's always free. Um, so we have something that you can watch, something you can read something you can listen to something you can do something that excites and i can't remember the last one um there are six overall and that is a team of alphabetty um it's something that's for our furloughed staff and artists to be doing so they uh, give me recommendations and then from those recommendations i pick our six and go yeah these are the most so they will scour the internet for it gives them something to do in the day um when it's raining when it's been sunny it's been a little bit harder for them <laughs> to get to sit on the internet um and it's things that people may enjoy uh, so we do that weekly or fortnightly depending what the weather's like and what everyone else is feeling um and then we have a uh, at least two pieces of work that will go up on the website and further um, per month. So we'll have a, we've done uh, the Listen Up writing competition, which is for underrepresented voices in Northeast Theatre. Um, so that, and that is, an, we are commissioning nine writers to write, uh, it's a micro commission uh, to write a short 10 minute audio drama that we're just shortlisting now. So we had over a hundred applications for that, which we were not expecting. Um, and they are so strong. So we still haven't actually been able to get whittle it down to nine yet. Um, so they will be coming out on our podcast, which is happening from October when our marketing manager comes back who also runs podcasts he's coming back and he's doing some marketing and he's also running some podcast stuff and we're also turning those into audio plays we then have a at least one other play as it were so we've got a kid show up there called rocket girl um which was filmed live in february um we've got a piece that came through our right longer thing which is an audio drama um so we've, uh, that's through ben dickinson um and 
Coracle Productions and 620. And then we have our Betty show, which is a live stream show. And that's the one that people can really interact with. So that is a fundraiser and it's a variety night as it were. So we have, uh, I have live guests. Um, so our first one we had was Ruth Patson, who's one of our trustees, who's a incredible, incredible musician. Um, she's in a band called Holy Money and the Crackers, and she is a activist and ambassador for Attitude is Everything. Um, so she wasn't able to come to us because she's um, very vulnerable. So we did that all via Skype, um, which was incredible. Um, it went very wrong which is half the joy of it because it is so live. It had that real um, 90s Channel 4 feel to it where everything's <laughs> going wrong and no, I didn't know what I'm doing. And I, yeah, um, and I'd had far too many 40 colas as well, so there's a lot of caffeine involved. And uh, then since then we've had, who do we have this week? Uh, oh, we had uh, Bonnie and the Bonnets, Digi Shalanke and Gary Kitching. Um, and it's all about the live chat. So I'm not sure if you've ever watched any streaming stuff because streaming used to be um, for gamers and I'm not a big gamer. I didn't really understand it So I went to an associate artist who was doing streaming before it was cool and a necessity um, And he kind of explained what it needs to do. So we've then built a show around how to Use the live chat and it's all about the live chat because without that then it's me just talking to an empty room and I don't bounce very well off that anyway so I have Adams, who's our videographer, um, his partner, uh, who they bubble together, and she's just watching the live chat, and she's writing anything that isn't that insulting. If there's a little bit insulting stuff to me, she'll probably do it. And she'll write it on a piece of scrap paper and just throw it at me, and then I have to react to, I have to catch it, read it, and then react to what's going on. And then we have uh, pre-recorded clips and Skype things and lots of other things going on as well. Um, so our next one for that is when I, the day after I get back from holiday, which is very exciting. Um, and we have Martha Hill and it is the 2nd of uh, September, Wednesday, the 2nd of September. Um, Martha Hill, have you got it up there? Do you, can you see yeah, it? Yeah, it's uh, Vicky Reeford Synod, Martha Hill, um, uh, Wednesday, the 2nd of September. Yeah. Um, and then previous to that, you've got Acid by John Schoenboom, directed by Ben Dickinson, which is a documentary on Thursday, the 27th of August. Then you've also got Meat Factory, written by Davey Rayner and, and performed by Rosie Sancliffe on Wednesday, the 19th of August, directed by Your Good Self. Um, yeah, and, so that and one. On and on. Yeah, that one I'm really excited about. We just finished that. That's a short film, The Meat Factory. And it's very, very satirical. Um, and because of it, I think it's quite interesting where it's set, well, where we are currently. So I was able to come up with lots of uh, Tory MP nicknames that they've given themselves um, to start the show. So uh, one of them is BJ, yes, please, um, which and um, comers. Um, so you, I guess you can guess who those two people are. Uh, the Govatron, um, Jenners. <laughs> Um, so we've got those because we have to be very careful because we don't want to get in trouble about that we're being mean about Tory MPs, but actually these are all fictional people that, or are they, or are they real people? Um, so we're having lots of fun with that and that's, uh, Adam's just editing that now actually. So that I, he thinks it should be finished by the time we finish this. So that'd be a fun thing for me to watch, which would be the meat factory. Um, and then I'm um, very excited, which we haven't filmed yet is our Christmas show that we did last year and we'll be releasing that this Christmas. And hopefully 
if we get the funding in, we'll be doing a very, very exciting Christmas project as well um, that will be live, <laughs> but not online. Um, yeah, no one likes online. It's dull. Uh, we want real life people. Um, so that's our, that's our closest thing we can do with the Betty show to, to give someone live on stage to go on tangents. And I say someone, it's me, so sorry. <laughs> How have you chosen the work you've cur curated? Um... That is a good question. Um, I, I want, so I, we spent a little bit of time before we put anything out online just trying to work out what the lay of the land was. And I mean, no one really knows what it is still now. Um, but one of the big things that I was very anti was putting anything out that represented us as a theater incorrectly um, and wasn't the, the highest work that I thought, in my opinion, that we could do safely, socially distanced um, and or remotely. Uh, so that we, the first thing we started was Betty Recommends because we could do that remotely. It gave everyone an impetus of something to do. Um, and then it's kind of grown from there. So the Meat Factory, it's all about a solo show. Um, so it's trying to find work that is, because our space is only four meters by four meters, you can't do any real work that's socially distanced because if you have two characters, they can't move really. Um, and if we need a filmer, filmographer or whatever it is in the room as well, it's how are you going to make someone move and do that. So nearly everything that we've got that we've curated is um, and programmed is solo work. And then it's trying to go, well, what is the best solo work that represents Alphabeti? Um, and what I did program was I soon realized, so when I like to program, when I like to create work, I like to ensure that we've got a um, gender balance in the creative team as much as we can. Um, and I really like to think that way through. And also we have a very um, strong queer line of programming. Um, and normally that works really, really exciting. So I, and that's our normal programs. So then when I actually then put our online program together, it was about the restrictions that COVID gave us. And it meant that nearly all the work was done by white heterosexual men and I was like this isn't what represents Alpha Betty very well so then I went well instead of putting anything else out there let's do Listen Up because that the Listen Up project because that does represent Alpha Betty a lot better in terms of the work that we do do um, and it just happened that the work that we tend to do didn't work into the Covid guidelines that we had to stick to um, that hasn't answered very succinctly, but yeah, that's yeah, it. I think it's about being succinct. I think it's about, you know, just hearing you, mm. you talk about what you've done. So yeah, just, yeah. I had a, I've, I've had a bit of a meltdown, so that was fun. Um, I've had a few, <laughs> had a few of those. Um, actually, I think you talked me out of one, which was nice. Um, what did I? Yeah. I think that's you talked me out of one as well, on our long hot walk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was lovely. And, uh, there, there, there are very big up days and down days, um, and I, I personally suffer with as, as in in the creative industries. Lots of people do that. Um, I have some mental health um, stuff at times, and I've been very pleased to be able to get cut down on my antidepressants, which is very nice news. Woohoo! In lockdown, don't know why I'm talking about this, but oh well, um, it's good. Everyone, everyone should be aware that everyone has down days and up days. Sure. Um, and I think the I very much so felt 
whilst we've been closed that it's a gazelle both for alphabetty and for myself um, in terms of mood so it's up or it's down um, and I think that's where we are sitting in the lie of the land as well that depending how long we are in lockdown for will depend whether alphabetty can come out of it we at the moment we can but if we're in not lockdown but if we're in this position where we have to be in terms of socially distance if we can't open yeah we, we can hold 80 to 100 people in in the theater um unsocially distanced socially distanced we can hold an audience of 10 with one uh, artist and three staff members still needed and that's just not viable for anyone whether it's an artist alphabeti or the audience member um so we are very much up and down don't know again why i've gone into this this tangent um, no but I, think, I don't think it's a tangent i think you know i think definitely i hear you about up and down days it's extraordinary what has happened uh over the last 20 weeks you know for a number of people i know and myself you know where uh going back to our walk i think you talked me out of a down day as well I, you know come away from that i felt because I, I think you were the first person i spoke to that was actually real as in as in a real physical sort of you know beyond like the people that were in my bubble with me and so i think in that it's something that has definitely you know affected quite a lot of people and especially in our industry you know where our industry relies so much on that sort of like physical relationship be as an audience member be as an artist be as um how we meet and talk to each other you know how we discuss work how we talk about what's happening i think you know having that removed has been such a like a something I've really missed and I didn't know I was going to miss it until it wasn't there. And, you know, uh, producer Johnny and I have been working with Louis and uh, Jerry Bradfield, Hannah, Hannah Bell Sanders and Lindsay Hannon doing these mu music doorstep gigs and bike it. And that has been amazing because it's been around people and it's mm. hearing music. And I think in that, you know, that the things that we have taken for granted have sort of, you know, arrived so like, as you were talking about uh, uh, that mirror of society, like we've taken such a lot that I think has been taken away from us. So I totally get where you're coming from. And I think that discussion is like properly needful about, you know, how people have felt around things. It's it's not easy, hasn't been easy to deal with, I think, for lots and lots of people and including myself. And so yeah, I don't think it's tangent. I think you're just sort of expressing like where we are as people in an industry that is currently sort of trying to work out like what is next. And I think it's so interesting as well. It's, uh, it's really pointed out how much our industry doesn't, as much as we want to, doesn't support the people that we we can and should. Like the fact that um, I was speaking to a artist who is on the autistic spectrum and that they were uh, explaining how um, hard they found it when um, people meet, particularly in the arts, and everyone always goes for a hug straight away. Um, or we used to, and they said that was a big positive that they came out of um, from from because of COVID, because they were like, well, actually, I can keep my distance, I can make sure that people understand what I want, and then do it. Um, so I think that's a very interesting thing. And also the fact that um, so many people, we've been able to engage with so many more people recently that haven't known Alphabeti whatsoever, and our regular, regular, regular audiences they've come back and they've enjoyed it and they've enjoyed it. But we've had some really first time people have gone, this is so good and so important in terms of what you do and why you do it. Um, that we are now going to be programming to ensure that we will have, we people who are isolated 
whether that's a financial, a distance or a health thing, we will ensure that they will be able to still access our work. Um, and we do that. We used to do that anyway with a community um, like travel scheme. So if someone couldn't afford to get down here, we would pay for their travel. Um, and that was great. But lots of people didn't really pick up, take it up on it that much because they went, well, actually, the tickets are pay what you feel show anyway. So you're already doing a lot to make it accessible and you guys need to get paid because and they felt very much connected to the work as well. Um, but we our Christmas show, if it comes off, we'll be doing that as a, a live stream show for people who can't get out of the house. Um, I've taken on board very much about the work to ensure that we caption work and audio describe work and um, make it as accessible as it physically can. So we're currently working with some accessible um, consultants who are associate artists of ours um, to really support that side of things. And in this fund, actually, ironically, just before lockdown happened, we got a tranche of funding in that I'd been applying for for months, actually years, to get Alphabeti into a better position so that we can be more accessible. So we're a very good socioeconomically accessible space, but our day-to-day -day access, uh, not requirements, the opposite of requirements. What's the opposite of requirements? Offers. And that's, yeah, our actual access offers that we can give. So we can provide relaxed performances, and we do, and I think our venue is very good for that style of things, and we're very accommodating to... Um, people with learning disabilities and we have a very good understanding of that we work very closely with groups and have a good relationship with people to be able to uh productively criticize us to go that you this is good positive criticize us so when we take it on and we go right let's make that better um but we've just got funding in to be able to audio describe stuff and train up one member of staff so that they can audio describe it to their our technician and she's also our yeah, she's our technician, but she also has an MA and BA in performance. So she's a perfect person to be able to audio describe work. Um, and she's also captioning, going to go on a captioning course as well. Um, so for us, that's really, really exciting about where we're going to reopen to. That is if we do reopen, but we should. Who knows? Yeah, you know, God, it's hopefully, you know, it all reopens. But I think, especially after that, I think it's been such a significant thing as an organisation in the northeast for the last eight years, especially in the last four years, I think it's just allowed a lot of people to gain access, develop, you know, as you said, make mistakes, and at the same time, like develop craft. Mm. Um, so I think, and also, you know, it's from what you are saying to me, it's so got such a good heart to it as an organisation, and that obviously comes from you. Um, so, like, yes, fingers crossed that you know we come out of this in a in a space that we can somebody said to me the other day that um as a maybe a society things have sort of potentially moved on 10 years but theater might have moved on about 30 because the way it's happened to sort of like really look at itself and and also embrace technologies about you know access around people being able to sort of watch things at the same time have a live experience um so i think you know these conversations that have happened in hopefully good things will come out of it and there won't just become, you know, um, fashion. It'll be habit formed. So you don't even have to think about it because it's just what you do. Um, so anyway, it's not about me. It's about you and Alphabetti. Um, I've got uh, two more questions for you. Um, yes, and no. One. see you later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Great. That, 
that's that's it. Well, thank you very much, Ali Pritchard. Um, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm here still. <laughs> Sorry, we've been we've been quite serious for a while. I thought we should do some silliness. Name one artist that's inspired you. Give me two other artists that have inspired you. Oh, um, obviously Jack Black. Uh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, oh, I don't know. Um, I think Ruth Patson actually. Um, Ruth and Conrad, um, who run Holy Moly and the Crackers, they have the most incredible work ethic. And Ruth has to put herself through so much pain. Um, so she has chronic arthritis. <laughs> Um, oh, this could be associate artist Paula Pemmon coming in. We'll find out. Um, so oh! It is associate artist Paula Pemmon. Um, yeah. Uh, we're still recording the podcast. Oh, sorry. That's all right. Um, artists that have inspired me. Well, obviously, Paula Pemmon here. Obviously. Um, I mean, she's inspired yeah. everybody. Yeah. Here she uh, comes. Very good <laughs> Um, are you going to, Jordan, we can kind of just, if we both go out like this. Hello. Um, Hi, team. How are you doing? Um, I look pasty white. We're not, we're just I look rosy red. red. Um, um, yes, the artist, I don't know, artist that inspired me. Um, yeah, I think Ruth is incredible. She has, her voice could melt metal. Um, her skills are unbelievable, but the dedication that she has to put into her practice just to be able to physically get on stage like the actual noise that holy moly and the crackers create hurts her physically um because it's so loud and they, i mean they play like they were due to play on the pyramid stage of glastonbury this year um like that's how big they are but she has to go through so much just for her work and i think if that's not inspiring then i don't know what is like she is just unbelievable human and she puts herself so out there paula and i did a project um called women and mint that paula hosted for me and um the she spoke about what it's like to be a disabled artist and what it's like to be a woman um in the music industry which is so male dominated and horrific and she's just so honest and beautifully brutal when it needs to be but also so tactile and amazing to yeah she's on our board so we're very, i'm very lucky to have her she's one person and uh actually i'm going to go for the other one who's on our board as well david byrne who's the trustee who's um the artistic director that i want to be um he is so supportive he saved alphabet without him alphabet wouldn't be around um and that was the second time that he met us um he's he's very impressive and uh, the other one I'd like to say is Inua Ellums, who came down to, he came from Melbourne having sold out, I don't know what it was, but he said it was an about 1,500 seater venue that he was playing in Melbourne to the basement of the old Alphabeti and played to 20 people at a pay field gig. Um, and he treated them both exactly the same, apart from that we needed to give him more heaters because he was so cold. Um, <laughs> but the his professionalism from going from one of the fanciest venues he's ever played to us and in the space of two days and then he then had the like 
amazingness to go and sit down with me and we chatted about love and life and pizza and all sorts of joyous things that Inua brings in. Um, so yeah, there you go. You got three. Thanks, Ali Pritchard. So I'm going to end on on a on a new question for you and Paula Pemmon. All right, yeah, um, Paula Pemmon, you're in this one. In which one? This question. This last I'll, question. I'll... If um, you sat up there, then you could be seen as well. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, go for it. Um, so my last question is. Um, if you had a superpower, what would it be and why? Uh, okay, so if you had a superpower, what would it be and why? You can think about yours. Um, mine would be, well, actually, I did come up with a new weapon. What are you doing, Paula? It's just the <laughs> properly French kiss, Paula Berman. <laughs> I feel violated. <laughs> You'll cut that out. You'll cut that out. <laughs> no, that's going to have to stay in. <laughs> that's the most contact I've had in five months. <laughs> <laughs> um, what? Yeah. I don't know why I put Paula behind me. What was I thinking? <laughs> it's like putting. It's like having Gary Kitching headline a show um, when he hadn't seen anyone for five months and get so excited that he got drunk by the end of it. And you're like, Gary, man, what are you doing? Um, actually, no, that wasn't his fault. He'd only eaten a can of tuna and a banana. Um, and he just got so excited seeing everyone. He had one drink and it, it all got too much for him. Bless him. Um, answer the question. Oh, answer the question. Uh, I would... Mark Calvert's looking at his watch. That's how much I know him. <laughs> He's glancing down like that. <laughs> we, we, my watch got trapped on my fat arm and I pulled it up because it was nipping my hair. Um, I would like to have a weapon that can uh, kill people via midges. That's not that's not a superpower, but that would Ooh. be if if I if I had my uh, superhero weapon, that would be it. Um, oh, that's pretty. That's pretty horrendous. Yeah, it'd be horrific. It'd be horrific. Um, and. I think if, I don't know, what, what, what's your superpower? I can't remember the question. What's your superpower? Um, I don't want to say fly because everyone would say that, but that'd be quite nice. Um, I'd like to like make world peace, if that's a thing. That's a, that, that's a like make people happy, um, to make that's, everyone that's happy. That's a good superpower. That's a good one. Make everyone happy. That's be a grand. great one. Hmm. I'd yeah. like to clear the queues for Tesco so that I can just walk <laughs> in. This is a great one. Mine is a little bit more selfish. It's like the I'd parting like of the sea. Jump all the queues. Yeah, great. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm with you on the, on both of them. Make everyone happy, and as long as I can queue jump, I'm absolutely sorted. Um, I'm not a very good queuer. I'm a really, really impatient queuer. So, uh, so yeah. I mean, two good superpower choices. Um, so, um, thank you, Ali Pritchard, for the last hour of your life. It's been My absolutely pleasure. amazing to have a chat with you. And thank you to Paula Penman for giving us three minutes of her life. And she just left. Um, <laughs> so um, thank you both so much. And, uh, and we'll see you soon. Oh, thanks to Ali for taking the time to chat. He's one of life's brilliant human beings, and what he's built through Alphabeti is both incredible and game-changing. We'd also like to thank all of the artists, collaborators and creatives mentioned in this podcast. 
Thank you to The Silent Threat, that is producer Johnny, aka Johnny Rothwell, for editing the podcast, to Mark Mother for soundtracking, and to Chris Clayton Scott for doing all the work to get it to you. Finally, thank you for taking the time to listen. We really appreciate it. Please do take a look at the show notes with the links to all the resources and websites that we talked about. And also, if you want to subscribe or leave us some thoughts, you know what to do. Thanks again for your time. Man.